With the advent of the podcast explosion, a wonderful new problem has cropped up. It's a daily dilemma trying to decide whether to listen to a podcast or an album. Podcast album. Podcast album. It's been an even split so far, which means I'm listening to less music than before. But when I do choose a podcast over an album, it's often a music-oriented one that will in turn inform me about the music I love. Admittedly, every time I choose a podcast over an album, my list of records that need to be listened to gets longer and longer, and the stack gets higher and higher. With almost no rules, podcasts are the new Wild West. Not having to adhere to a governing body or an agenda-filled middleman, they can be anything a person wishes. Podcasts have overtaken talk radio, and in the case of music podcasts, have become our new fanzines, personally curated foxholes. Reflecting the individual producing it, attracting like-minded listeners, what's not to love? The proliferation of podcasts is also due to the ease of its construction. Someone's lack of technological skill isn't that much of a hindrance anymore. They can simply get to the matter at hand, creating interesting content for their niche audience. They can be recorded and edited anywhere and with relative ease. In fact, I do most of this podcast in my bedroom, kind of like I'm doing right now. But this ease does bring with it a few annoyances. The newfound simplicity does prompt a lot of people to start a podcast, but for how many great podcasts are out there, there are 10 times the amount that were started, but left marooned on the sand like a beached whale two episodes in. People have great intentions, but when they realize the commitment, the work involved, and the standard they need to live up to on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis, many abandon ship. However lawless the podcast world may seem, you still have to make it listenable for an audience. It can't sound like you recorded it underwater or next to a jet taking off. You can't just talk shit either. You still have to regularly provide interesting content. Conditioned by years of listening to the radio helped provide this loose model. So, as much as I love podcasts, making them and listening to them, due to the ridiculous amount out there, to get me to listen to one is about as difficult as getting me to go camping, next to impossible. I'll check out your band's album on Bandcamp, but I'm probably not going to check out your podcast. No offense, just, there's just not enough time. It has to absolutely floor me to get me to prick up my ears. So if a podcast does make it into my listening rotation, I want to tell the world. I can literally list off music-oriented podcasts I listen to on one hand. Literally, because there's only five. Famous Lost Words by Christopher Ward and Tom Jokic play old interviews by famous musicians that have never been heard before, and with Ward's extensive experience as songwriter to the stars and Much Music VJ, the discussions on the podcast get interesting very fast. Ricky Rockman's Cat House Hollywood podcast is Ricky Rockman's deep dive into the L.A. rock world from 1986 to 1992. And with Ricky being the owner of the Cat House Rock Club and former host of MTV's Headbangers Ball, he was at ground zero and spits out stories never been told publicly before on almost every episode. The Jasta Show with Jamie Jasta, singer of Hatebreed, and also a former MTV Headbangers Ball host, has interesting and often hilarious discussions from the heavier side of the music world. Full transparency, I've been on twice myself. While Damien Abraham, singer of Fucked Up, and also a former Much Music VJ, host of the Vice show The Wrestlers, and the one guest that has appeared the most times on this podcast because sometimes Damien from Fucked Up stops by and hangs out too. Damien's podcast, Turned Out a Punk, is about each guest's journey through punk with his infamous first question, how did you get into punk? Damien is hovering around 240 episodes as I record this, and I'm proud to say I was guest on episode number three. And finally, Podcast number five that I listened to, The Vinyl Guide Podcast with Nate Goyer, and this episode's guest. I'm a fan of Nate's musical taste, selection of guests, his interview style, and his voice. 
From episodes with Oliver Wang talking about Betty Davis or Chad Dahlstrom, CEO of Discogs, to discussions with musicians as wide-ranging as Don Was, Joe Satriani, Henry Rollins, Dave Manichetti, Trey Spruance, Angelo Moore, Chuck Dukowski, Ian Gillen, and Daryl Mack, to music industry insiders like Noel Monk, Bob Lefsetz, Greg Renoff, Spot, Greg Workman, Bernie Grunman, and Dr. Demento. If you like to go deep with music, but like too many different genres to just focus on one, the vinyl guide will most likely fit your tastes to a T. Even if I'm not too familiar with a guest or I'm not that much of a fan, I do end up with a newfound appreciation for their role in music after an episode is finished. Nate lives in Sydney, Australia, and on our recent trek down under this past September, I invited Nate to our Sydney show at the Crowbar. I still enjoy talking to musicians and reveling in our shared experience, but meeting up with Nate on the opposite side of the world after our show backstage, it was fun to share stories about doing podcasts, a new shared experience in a fellowship that's even more exclusive than the club of touring musicians. I was on the Vinyl Guide recently, episode number 161, entitled A Danko Jones Supreme, and I was almost as excited to be on it as the first time we got played on the radio. It's a wonderful thrill to be a guest on a show you're a fan of yourself, almost like joining the band you love. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't address the situation that is going on in Australia right now. I think when Nate and I spoke, the fires in Australia were raging, but it hadn't dominated and overtaken the world news like it has now. With over 12 million acres burned and half a billion animals dead, it is a tragedy beyond belief. I'm sure everyone by now knows where to donate, but I'll list it off here again to be sure. And if you can, only if you can donate, you can donate to the Australian Red Cross Disaster Relief and Recovery Fund at redcross.org.au, the New South Wales Rural Fire Service donation page at res.nsw.gov.au, the Country Fire Authority in Victoria has a bushfire relief page at cya.vic.gov.au. The Country Fire Service in South Australia has a page at cfs.sagov.gov.au. There's a Victorian bushfire appeal donations page at vic.gov.au. And Nate Goyer himself has pledged all funds from his vinyl guide Patreon page to go towards fire relief at patreon.com slash vinyl guide, where you can become part of the vinyl guide community, hear secret episodes, extra interviews, and depending on what tier, even get an album from Nate's own collection while helping Australia in their time of need. I've been doing this podcast for eight and a half years now, and I kind of keep it under the radar. If you find out about it, then welcome. And I've never asked for money or donations to do it because I, I do it for simple kicks. But I am mentioning donation pages to Australia here because it's a natural disaster that has devastating effects on all of us. Sorry to get real there, but, you know, that's just how it is. Uh, my conversation with Nate, however, was a great one, and it was an insider look at one of my favorite podcasts. I'm a Vinyl Guide podcast fanatic. And after listening to this episode, I hope you get to be one too. Without further ado, Nate Goyer of The Vinyl Guide is this episode's guest on the Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Lennon, is Danko's co-hotel over free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy from Fucked Up. Stop playing when the weather is bad and there's nothing much to do Take a listen, would you now, to what Danko Jones would do It's the middle of the night and you better do it fast Turn the speakers up loud for Danko's podcast Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready Because the Danko Jones podcast starts now! Now! 
Hello? Mr. Jones. Nate, it's great to hear your voice. <laughs> uh, this is the first time I'm hearing your voice where you're on the other side. Um, so that's interesting. <laughs> I'm on the other side. But the vinyl guide, the reason why I became such a huge fan of it was uh, the vinyl guide as a title for a podcast lends itself to, you know, uh, I what I would think would be the 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 hot the the end of this the vinyl spectrum, which caters to you know kind of highbrow you know, uh, musics and, and the, and, and, and kind of a snobbish way of collecting records or viewing music. But when I, and Hey, listen, I'm part of that clan as well to a certain extent, but when I discovered and went deeper into your podcast, what I loved about it was, uh, just how your, the, the guests you choose are, are, are so spread out, um, and it, uh, very often consistent with my musical taste that, yes, you do have, you know, critics darlings like, you know, Michael Gira from The Swans and Amit Zappa talking about Frank Zappa and Chuck Dukowski and Joe Harley from Blue Note. But you also have, which which really made me love your podcast with Dave Menachetti and uh, Craig LoCicero and Phil Lewis and Rudy Sarzo and, you know, everyone in between like King Buzzo and Henry Rollins and Scott Ian. So I, I love how your podcast uh, is, is so open to all kinds of music and how it's consistent with my taste. And so I, I applaud, I applaud you for doing such a great podcast. One of my favorites and uh, I don't know, I kind of fashion my podcast after yours in certain respects. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, geez, that's a whole whole string of compliments. I, I, I feel good <laughs> about that. I mean, uh, thank you. Look, the, the, the guiding principle of the podcast really from day one has been really about me and my tastes because all those people are folks that I listen to and I enjoy. And not to say that I'm above learning about these, because some of the artists um, I was not that familiar with before going into an episode, uh, going into an interview. And I had to, and some of the guests I, I've had to quickly come up to speed on, people like Frank Carter. I wasn't that familiar with Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. And right. then um, a, a PR uh, person that I, I, I know and respect quite well um, started talking about Frank, and I went into a, a a bit of research and found him to be absolutely fascinating. And he's just one example of, of, of many I've, I've had to do that with, but um, I've really from day one. And I guess the name, the vinyl guide, and I, I've, you know, I, I've never wanted it to be anything like, you know, authoritative. I've always wanted it to be, I'm a guide. I kind of know what I'm looking at, but I didn't want it to be like the authority or anything. I, I've never wanted to pursue it like that. Cause I, I've always, seeing myself as someone who wanted to learn and, and be a student and, and not stop picking up new, new tricks and new artists along the way. I, I think the, 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 the worst thing about having the name, the podcast, the vinyl guide is a lot of people think I'm saying the vinyl guy, G U Y. And that's, you know, I guess if I had to go back and rename the podcast, I, I, I probably would have considered that point, <laughs> but hey, here we are. I've never thought that. I've always I've always hooked on a vinyl guide, but I also thought of your podcast as you know record collector magazine as a podcast. That's what mm. it kind of that's what initially drew me to you was oh this is like a kind of a snooty podcast about record collecting. I love it. And then, you know, when I, when I discovered more about your podcast, I said, well, no, it's not that, but I still love it because this guy doing it, uh, has such a wide taste and wide range of musics. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed by your, your selection of guests. I love it. Um, and yeah, as a listener, as you are the person posting the podcasts, there are, have been some episodes were the guests I wasn't very familiar with and I, you know, kind of took a chance and listened to it and was pleasantly uh, turned on to whatever musics they were talking about. So mm. it, it's, it's definitely informative without being, you know, so snooty. 
Oh, good. Pretentious. Right. Yeah, well, that's, no. that's a perfect space. That's where I wanted to. That's where I wanted to be. Well, perfect. what drew me to you was uh, hope. I was hopeful for pretension, and I was uh, pleasantly uh, let down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be pretentious if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, what made you start this podcast? Um. Well, I. What what maybe? So, um. The short answer is I used to have uh, – I had this friend of mine, uh, Dan Brown, and he passed in, in 2015. And he and I would have a lot of conversations about records. He would come over and, and uh, we would play records. We would talk about them and and, and I always enjoyed that. And um, it, 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 you know, when Dan left the planet, I, I this was – it started off as a, a bit of a form of therapy for me. Mm. Um, but it, it, it kind of took off pretty quick. Because I guess I, you know, pe- people like yourself could tell that I had the passion for it. Um, but it, it was also kind of going back even further. It's kind of the triangulation of of, of the things that I think I, I I do well, the things that I spend a lot of time on in life, which you know, uh, technology. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a bit of a tech nerd. That's that's how I how I feed my family. Uh, broadcasting, which is something that I used to do uh, years ago, you know, from a, from a radio show, uh, and uh, uh, and record collecting. So I've uh, you know the, the the intersection of those three things really made it you know made it sensible to to consider a vinyl podcast, which is why you know well why I started and why it continues. Uh, immediately when a listener starts to, 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 to check out an episode, uh, it's your voice that stands out. I mean, like, I, I'm not surprised when you just said that you have a background in radio broadcasting. How extensive is that background? Because you, you do have a voice for radio. I mean, it's undeniable. Yeah, I've got a face for radio too. I uh, um, have a uh, well. So, so going uh, back into my youth, I, I so I started off as a musician, and mm-hmm. I was a bad musician, but I didn't realize that at the time. And I would spend more of my time at band practice, you know, futzing around with the equipment. Um, and wanting to more interested in the mechanics of how it made the sound and how we could record things rather than practicing. I, I would spend, you know, five times as much time with the with the Tascam four track than I would actually practicing the song or playing the guitar. Right. Um, and so uh, from there, I you know I, I got a job at a um, at, at a music shop and to be able to you know I, I'd buy equipment and I'd start to to bring equipment home and start to put together my home studio and then to pay for the home studio. I started to, uh, uh, record bands and record people. And part of that journey was uh, doing radio commercials. And I, I was hired by a few different places in the Bay area that I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area. Uh, and I'd start to do radio commercials, but the radio commercials I, I would do were really silly really funny a lot of them were for like head shops you know shops that sold bongs and stuff like that <laughs> and and quite often you know I, I wouldn't get paid in money i would get paid in here you can come in and take two hundred dollars worth of merchandise right and so um so yeah i i ended up with a lot of uh, red black and green rastafari and clothing back in the day and uh, <laughs> uh so um from there i got exposure into the radio stations the radio stations they liked the way that i would kind of come up with these zany kind of commercials and so i got offered an airspace on uh, on a couple of stations in the monterey bay area uh, monterey bay area which is just south of san francisco so but i, I did uh, that's really kind of almost a minor point there um it, it was mainly radio commercials and and doing those sort of things trying to get my point across in 30 seconds was something that i i i learned organically and it just kind of became part of my you know, part of the fabric ever since. Right. Um, and without getting too personal, how did you go from the Bay area to Australia? Cause that's where mm-hmm. you're based out of. That's where we met in Sydney, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how did that happen? Oh, uh, so in the year 2000, October 1st, 2000, I was overseas. I was at, uh, uh, another thing I, I love beer. 
Um, I used to love beer a lot more than I do now, but, um, okay. I, I would go over and, uh, um, I went to Oktoberfest in, in, in Munich and I, um, I met this girl. She was an Australian. She lived in Australia and we started, uh, we, we, we connected, you know, we didn't so much as kiss. We just met and we exchanged information and then we started emailing each other and calling each other and, and uh after three or four months you know we decided okay let's try to get together again let's try to meet again and and see what happens and um you know we just kind of started on that path so really i, I came to australia chasing a girl uh and uh and that was uh yeah starting with the year two i've been here almost 20 years now wow yeah i kind of could guess that that's usually did the you reason here sorry did you meet her did you meet my wife she no. was like a gig Oh no, no, I just met you. You were you just came upstairs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was it. No. I saw you and the whole band almost naked. I can, <laughs> I can, I've seen the, just about all of Danko Jones, you know, in their underwear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quite impressive. The show and, uh, and the post show show. <laughs> post show, yes, yes, the after party. Um yeah. So that's how I, I, I came to Australia. But uh, look, I mean, most of what I've done is, you know, and I, I, there's some parts of my career that I think are, are in tech that really kind of align to a lot of music and a lot of uh, uh, just being in the Bay Area. And like when I um, uh, when I was doing a lot of band recording, I was also discovering, you know, the, the web, how to, how to do web pages and so i would start to do just to practice the craft i would go to um the website of a record company and redesign their entire website and then trade them that new design for a box of cds or a box of records wow um and not long afterward i got a job at apple um in their multimedia department because i you know i knew how to do digital recording and in, uh, on Windows and Mac. So, you know, I, I became kind of a bit of a valuable asset at that point, kind of understanding that I got a job in, in, in check this out, I, I got a job in the Apple Multimedia Labs with no college degree, with no nothing, just because I, I just absorbed the stuff and I just knew how to use it. And I, I knew it deeply. And, um, and yeah, so it, it, it was just about, you know, just pursuing kind of getting good at what I, what I enjoy doing and then just pursuing the opportunities that align to it. Now, when you, you know, go public as with a, with a podcast called the vinyl guide, you sort of position yourself as a, you know, record collector fanatic. So my question, first question is how big is your collection? How big is your record collection? I think that's a question you asked me when I was on your podcast. Probably it, it, it comes up. It, it's one of these things to where describe your music collection. And, yeah. And um, I well, uh, I don't have a CD player in the house. I don't even have one in my computer, which is you know sometimes people send me stuff on CD. It's like I, I think I could play it in the car, or I, or I have my son rip it to to, to some sort of digital format. Um, I've got about I'd say close to three thousand records. That's a substantial um, collection. It is, and I really kind of call it. I would say probably two thousand of them are ones that I want to keep. About a thousand of them are ones that I will take to shows, and you know, um, uh, sometimes uh, sell off as my my seconds. Um, I'll, I'll get an album sometimes, like uh, I'll, I'll have a, a, a decent quality version of it, and then I'll find a beautiful copy of it, and then I'll replace my average copy of it and sell the average copy. Oh, I so, see. Uh, or sometimes I'll buy records, I'll buy albums, and I'll listen to them for a while and be like, you know, I, I think I'm done with it. I think I've, you know, I, I call it catch and release. You know, you enjoy <laughs> it for a while, and then it's like, all right, I'm going to, oh, I'll, I'll move this on. I've, I've had my time with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, it's an interesting thing having a vinyl collection, or it, it's different now, but before, uh, when nobody was collecting vinyl, that was kind of I was I was really um, I don't know very protective of of all my records and these days with the vinyl resurgence I'm sort of a little loose with it now and and this catch and release idea that you have I've found myself doing that lately 
Um, looking at a record that I've owned for quite a while and going to myself, I'm never going to listen to this. So just get rid of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and the trick is, am I being impulsive? And so I've got, I've got a whole bunch of records that I'd, I'd get rid of in a second, but I just want to hold on to them for a little longer, just in case, you know, seller's remorse would, would seep in. Because we've all done that. We've all sold something and then been like, oh, shit, well, why did we do that? Um, so, uh, look, I, I I think it's just a I, – I sell the things that I'm quite sure I'm not going to spend any more time listening to. Uh, and if there's something I'm on the fence about, I'll keep it around for a little bit longer. But, it, look, if I haven't listened to it for a year, I, I'm also looking at – you know, I'm – I've probably got a couple of two, maybe three good decades left when I could manage a large record collection. And if I don't think I'm going to be listening to more than twice in that time, out it goes. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good uh, marker for whether or not to keep a record. But uh, another question I had a follow-up was what is your, what are your thoughts on this vinyl resurgence. Of course, you have the vinyl guide, so it works in tandem. But do you have any criticisms for it? Because a lot of the people that I know who deal with records as, you know, sellers, et cetera, et cetera, they're quite critical of it, even though that's their livelihood. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, look, uh, it, it, it's a it's a fad, it's a fetish. It's something that's... You know, uh, we, and I'm assuming you are probably in the similar generation as I am, we have a, we value possessions. We like to have things. I've never really considered music as mine unless I have a copy of it. And I like to control it. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of my youth trying to capture songs off the radio with my cassette recorder. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that was always kind of, you know, a, 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 a minor victory when I was able to get the very beginning of the song to the very end of the song. Um, when I have a record, it's the same sort of thing. I, if, if, if media is streaming, I think that's nice. It's accessible. But somewhere in my brain, it makes me think that could go away at any moment. And so having a copy of, of physical media uh, is important to me, but it's not so important to people like my kids. You know, they don't have that sort of react. They didn't grow up in the, in the era of, Oh, if I don't hear that song, you know, if, if I don't have a copy of that song, I may not hear it for a month. Uh, so, um, they don't really have it. They, everything is on demand. It's dial up. It's they, they have it. So, so I can imagine that at some point, um, vinyl will, you know, we're, we're probably, getting towards kind of the, the top of this vinyl bubble. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's not to say that the blue chip records will, you know, start to decline significantly. I, I think you'll, you'll get a lot of C and D artists, you know, folks like, uh, I'm going to pick on a few people, but it's not, you know, <laughs> no malevolence or anything, but like uh, I'm looking at a record right now, 10 years, years after a space in time and this is a great record but my kids are not going to seek this out no the zeppelins and the beatles and the the radioheads those are the artists that people are like oh, they're, they're going to continue to gravitate towards just because that's the you know they're they're the charlie chaplins the buster keatons the peoples who, who whose media <laughs> is so important it will never die and um i think those records will continue to 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 be worth a, a, a fair amount um also don't forget, uh, 10 years ago, there was that unfortunate Universal Music Group fire. Yeah. And that fire burned a lot of master tapes. And so we will never get a lot of those back in the quality that we've had. I mean, there's digital copies, digital backups and things like that. But, but any repress of pretty much any, like, let's say Nirvana, any current repress of that is going to be from a digital master. Um, we will never have those analog masters again. And so the, those records um, are, 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 are the best they could be. 
so that era, that early 90s and, and stuff like that, records that were pressed around that, uh, especially, you know, uh, uh, from the country of the artist, that's the best it's going to be. And anything beyond that is going to be inferior. Yeah, I heard about that when uh, you were talking to, I believe, Dave Minichetti. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard that episode where you guys were talking about the fire. Yeah, and and his, you know, uh, like all the the Y&T masters gone. So if they're, you know, they're going to do a, a, a current repress of that material, it's going to be from a digital master. So, uh, you know, the, the, the true analog to analog masters, the ability to do that is gone. Uh, so, you know, if you want to hear Y&T analog to analog the way it was meant to be heard back in the day with all four members looking at each other and nodding in the studio and high-fiving and celebrating their success, you're going to have to find an original pressing on A&M from 85 or whatever uh, because anything beyond that is going to be from a, from a different source. Here's my question to you. How much of that affects you as someone who you who taped songs off the radio on a cassette? I mean, my question is, how much of a stereo nerd are you and sound nerd are you when your beginnings with music, recorded music, were cassettes from the radio? Yeah, well... Well, that's a fair question. When I was a kid and I was doing cassettes and uh, taping songs off the off the radio, I was a kid in a schoolyard, and that was the you know, the the only um, vehicle for me to be able to listen to, you know, bites the dust or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and but you know, as I as I grew, as I matured. Uh, you know, I was able to get a nice stereo. I was able to have a, a you know, some good speakers and a good quality experience and a nice chair in the middle of it to, to listen to it all. And that's the level of quality that I want to continue having. And I think a lot of people, you know, our age, they, they have a little station or some sort of environment that they could listen to in, in a decent quality uh, and, and be able to tell the difference between something that was taped off the radio and a, and a good record. Um, also, uh, 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 there's also the artwork to it because a lot of that artwork is now burned up. I think in that same interview, Dave Manichetti was talking about, yeah, the artwork, the original artwork for those albums is gone. So what, now what you're looking at is scans and things that are, you know, copies of copies. And, um, and, and, and to me, that's a bit sad because, you know, you want to have something nice and crisp, something, you know, to, to be able to look at while you listen to the to, to the record the way it was meant to be. So I, it's, it's a bit of nostalgia. Now, will most people be able to tell the difference between a digital master, between something from a digital source and analog source? Maybe not. Um, I think the older that I get, my ears probably won't be able to do it either. Uh, but again, we're talking about record collecting. And if you are looking at a $30 repress or a, you know, a, a $50 original, I will go for the original every time because it, it's always got that, um, that, that, that factor of being pressed in the time, a product of what the band wanted to have, what the artist wanted to see out on the market. And uh, to me, that's a much stronger connection to the artist than something that's a repress, maybe out of Europe that may not even have the artist blessing. Fair point. Um, yeah, because sometimes I I just say, well, you know what? I just want to hear the music, <clears throat> and I don't really care <clears throat> if it was you know remastered or a remaster of a remaster, you know. Um, but you know that uh, my I always say I want to just listen to as much music as possible before I pass away. So I lead with that, but you make a fair point. Look, uh, you know, I, I use streaming servers. Uh, uh, sorry, I use streaming services myself. Yeah. Uh, often just trying to understand an artist or trying to analyze kind of like, is this something that I like or what, you know. Um, uh, and also even when I'm in the car, I'll listen to podcasts too, but I'll listen to, um, you know, to, to music. And that's, you know, when I'm driving, there's road noise and there's honking and beat there's all sorts of different things that that impact the sound but to me it's it's a it's not the, the go-to it's kind of the the try before you buy and when there is an album or there is an artist that i'm like wow i really really uh like this 
I will make the investment, the physical investment. And here's the thing. I also try to see the artist live wherever I can, because I, if, if there's an artist that I like what they're doing, I want to support them in multiple ways. So I want to buy the record. I want to go to the gig. And, you know, even if the T-shirt's ugly, I'm going to get one. <laughs> just because you know, I, I want that artist to come back and to 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 help them continue their livelihood. Right. Well, um, switching gears from record collecting to podcasting, mm. um, I'm very, like I said, very impressed by your selection of guests. How do you go about getting the guests? Are you a one man team? Do you have a team behind you? Well, and. Uh, um, Sadly, I, I am a one-man team. I, <laughs> I I do want to get an intern. I mean, this is podcasting is not something that you know you make a tremendous amount of money on, uh, and uh, it, it is me. Um, but you know, and and I got to tell you, when you were in Sydney and you and I kind of had that conversation about podcasting, you know, and, and uh, it, it was I, I really enjoyed it because it was I was being able to talk to someone who knows what it's like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's not a whole lot of podcasters that I, I really talk to on a regular basis that we can kind of compare. Oh, how does this happen? How do you do this? How do you normalize the audio? Blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's almost like an astronaut, you know, you and I, there's only a few people who really know what it's like. Right. Um, my podcast first started off as me just talking and sharing stories of different records and histories of different pressings. And then I went to a model to where I was telling the story, but then having the artist come in and start to talk a little bit about it. Like I, I did an episode on, uh, I think kick out the jams by the MC five. And I, I, I reached out to Wayne Kramer and he and I had a big conversation and then I intermixed his comments on it with my telling the story. And then I, it, it kind of worked out to where understanding it from him was much more interesting than a third party, a person who wasn't even around at that point telling the story. So I, I started having the artist tell the story. And um, in the first year, I was doing the reaching out. Uh, in you know, in the subsequent years, it's the the vinyl guide started to get enough traction, enough listenership, enough interest to where I now have PR agents reaching out to me or sometimes artists reaching out to me saying, Hey, I'd love to come on the show. Let's talk records. And, and so, um, I'm very thankful for that now because uh, I used to spend a lot of time just writing these hail Mary emails and trying to, you know, talk to friends of friends. Hey, you know, Duff McKagan, can you put in a word for me? You know, so now mm -hmm. I'm able to actually have, you know, people reaching out and seeing the value and taking the time to do it. Well, that's, that's really impressive because the way I get guests, they've, I mean, it's easier for me because they're usually just friends in bands. Yeah. And, you're touring and, with them. You're hanging out with them. You're, you know, you're on bills with these folks. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, uh, you, you've you've got you got many more connections. I do, but in a way, your guests—not to put my guests down—but your guests, some of them are hard to get to um, for anyone, and they would do only certain kinds of press and promo, and you're able to to get them consistently. Like uh, it's it's top shelf people consistently, and I thought maybe there was some sort of like person in the shadows like a puppet master helping you out there because i've been impressed on some of these gets in fact i've never told you this but uh, the episode you did with daryl mack from run dmc i was so mm -hmm. i was so impressed by the rapport you guys had and how friendly uh daryl sounded that i did my own kind of research found his his uh point person emailed her Never got a reply, which which is fine, because like you said, lots of them are Hail Marys. But that made me more impressed that you were able to get them. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that vinyl guide guy got him like, hi, you know, like, wow, how did he do that? Because I, I, I followed whatever you're supposed to follow to to get these guys. And sometimes, you know, you they're just not doing the promo press tours. They're not in the cycle. Uh, I get it. But um you consistently get people where I'm like, how did he get that person? Sometimes it's the answer would, you would probably say, just send them an email and you, you never know what you get. But, and I'm sometimes hesitant, but I'm, uh, my point is I'm very impressed by, 
as I've said, maybe two, three times already in this discussion of, of the guests that you're able to get. Oh, thanks. And, and you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's, you know, I, I think DMC took me probably four or five rounds. Ah. You know, you just, like you said, you got to get them on the right cycles. Yeah. I'm not saying you got to be a stalker or anything like that, but you right. know, it's like, okay, Hey, uh, you could also ask the question, when would this artist be available? If you get a no, when do you think this person would be available? Right. And occasionally I get the, occasionally I get the, you know, fuck off, we're not going to do your show. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> okay, I'm a big boy. I can handle that. Uh, but, um, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know, we're not doing anything right now. Why don't you reach out in February? Boom. There you go. Okay. Put it on your calendar and then you reach out in February. So that's, you know, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta be patient and, and, um, uh, not take rejection, not saying that you do, but just, you know, just, you know, be okay with the rejection or just, you know, and, and, and circle back occasionally and see if they're, if they're ready. That's, I'm, that, that's my secret. And, and, and PR agent, the P, uh, there's a lot of PR agents now that now reach out to me and that's nice. Because yeah. I'm able to say, hey, I like this artist or I like this artist. How about this other one? When's that one going to be available? Um, and, uh, and and yeah, so that's, you know, it's it, it, it's just after so many years of work, I'm, I'm finally able to do that, which I'm so thankful for. Yeah, but some some of the guests that you get, like I know we, t- we talked about it back in Australia because at the time in September, I think the, the, the episodes were very fresh. Which was the whole Mr. Bungle, uh, Kristen Yee, and Trace Spruance and Ipecac Records. They were all kind of uploaded around the same period of months. And so mm-hmm. there was a lot of, even a little bit of drama that kind of unfolded around your podcast with those episodes. And, and, my first thought was, how did he even find these people? And so it was really, really great that you were able to find them. They, they, they reacted to you. They, and then there was even some sort of, you know, newsworthy thing that came out of it. Um, and that to me is the mark of a great podcast. Um, without, without being the catalyst, I don't think you were trying to needle anyone into anything. You were simply asking questions. And, and I thought that was great. And, and Bungle is a mysterious band for a lot of us and who are fans. And so, man, I, lo- I, I just love how you align with what I, what I want to hear. <laughs> well, you know, again, I think you and I, are, our tastes are probably very similar. We probably grew up in the same eras, being fascinated with the same artists and following a lot of the same threads. So, you know, the same way we've got a love for Mr. Bungle and Thin Lizzy. Which you know, not, not everyone has those sort of kind of alignments, but I, but yeah, you and I are, uh, are, uh, are 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 aligned that way. Yeah, like you know, I'm I'm interested in in um, uh, listening to uh, um, an episode where you talk to the author of whatever uh, a misfits collector or ed stasium or or you talk about the guy talk with the guy who who started discogs but i'm also equally interested in you know the episodes with craig le cicero or or uh vernon reed or 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 phil lewis so you know i I just i very rarely these days do you see because everyone likes to put things in compartments do you see something that uh treats different kinds of musics with respect. Uh, you know, a lot of people would think that, you know, hard rock music from the eighties, there's a certain way to treat them a certain way, you know, and you treat it with respect the same way that you would the guy who runs, you know, impulse or blue note or whatever the episode's about. So that's what I really loved about how you tackled some of the guests and, and the musics because I tried to do that too. And when I said that, you know, I kind of loosely model my podcast after you, that's really one of the cues that I use too. I like to be known as a podcast. that's quite open to a lot of things as well. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, so, and, so that's why I really loved it. Oh, I'm very glad you do. Yeah. It's a, uh, Look, I, I try to be – another thing I try to do is I try to do a lot of research. I try to come in with questions and things that aren't covered in other means. So one thing that drives me crazy, a friend of mine, uh, Chuck, and I were talking about this uh, the other week. Um, whenever you hear a, 
someone who finally gets a chance to interview someone like David Gilmore or Roger Waters, and they ask, so how did you come up with Dark Side of the Moon? It's <laughs> yeah. like there are books. There are There's so much information out there on that. <laughs> and and I, I, I like to come in with some of the, the, the things that really keep the artists uh, they show a different side of them. Yes. Maybe. I'll, I'll, yes. Uh, for every for every hour of interview that I do, I probably do seven or eight hours of um, research and pre-production. I've got actually you asked if I do it alone. I actually sometimes don't. I, I've got a bit of a team, um, uh, hardcore listeners uh, that uh, that uh, are part of this collective, this group. And whenever I have an, uh, sometimes a couple interviews going in the same week, and I can't research them all. I'll throw one out there to the to, to the email group. I'll say, guys, who who can you know who, who wants to do a bit of research on this, or who knows about artist X? And someone will say, hey, I do. I can take this one. So then they come back with a, a raft of questions and things that are you know generally quite aligned with the the sort of. Uh, um, sort of questions that I would do. Not, not to say I, I, then I take that and refine it, but it saves me, you know, 80% of my time on that when I do that. Um, as you know, interviews come in fits and starts. Sometimes, you, you know, I'll go two or three weeks without an interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll have four in the same week. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's just a matter of scheduling them. This, this is the holiday season. So, you know, there's really no, um, uh, not a lot of uh, interviews happening these days, uh, but I know once I get into January, all of a sudden these, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be barraged with, you know, different uh, PR folks saying, hey, we've got this album coming out in February or blah, 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 blah. Can we do this? So, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's feast and famine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, what was, what was I saying? Well, so this uh, team that you have, they're made up mm-hmm. of vinyl guide listeners, like hardcore vinyl guide listeners. Yes. Yes, absolutely. There's a, uh, uh, hardcore listeners. They've reached out to me. They've, you know, we have dialogue online. Generally the way it starts is we have dialogue online and then, um, you know, it kind of morphs into them telling me about the type of artists that they like. And then when I get, then if I get the opportunity to be able to give them, uh, an artist to kind of research, I'll do that. Um, sometimes uh, I've had listeners reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, I really like your show. I happen to know person X. Would you like me to connect you with them? Oh, wow. Like, brilliant. Oh, yeah. that is fantastic. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's how I got uh, Jocko from King Crimson, you wow. know, <laughs> it was just like, Oh, far out. Oh yeah. That's great. Just put me right in there, you know? And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it, uh, I'm just making noises now. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, are, are these are these listeners part of the Patreon section of your podcast? Because you do these uh, Patreon uh, episodes. Uh, some of them, yeah. Um, I've got some some listeners. I mean, a, a, my Patreon community isn't isn't huge, but some of the listeners really just contribute quite substantially which is quite nice. Um, so, you know, there are people who listen to the show that are, you know, they're record collectors. They're, they're, you know, some of them are, uh, you know, security guards. Some of them are cops. Some of them are lawyers and doctors. And so some of the Patreon folks, they, they come in and they, uh, you know, they, 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 they bless me quite well with, uh, with their contributions. And then a couple of the, the, the people, are just fans of the show and you know, they, they, they contribute with their questions and sometimes their contact. Is there anything more from the Patreon group that you get besides the exclusive episodes? Yeah. Yeah. So if people who go to the Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash vinyl guide, uh, they sign up there, even if it's two bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or whatever else they want to contribute. Um, I put up secret episodes. Sometimes I put up, um, interviews, uh, that I don't make public. Um, I put up uh, a couple. A couple of those are, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sixto Rodriguez, you know, the guy from Searching for Sugar Man. Oh wow! Um, yeah, interviewed him, and I put that up just for the Patreon folks. That was last Christmas gift. Last Christmas, Christmas gift for the Patreon community. Um, I recently put up one with John Five, where he was talking about Kiss collectibles and his, you know, his uh, um, his collector 
uh, gene that he's got within him. Um, uh, I also do secret episodes. I'll do kind of a behind the scenes, like what was it like setting up a conversation with like Michael Girard Swans. Um, if, if there's something to, to interesting to note there, of course, sometimes I'll put longer interviews up there. Recently, I had an interview with Spot, who was the um, uh, the producer and engineer for a lot of the SST, a lot of the Black Flag, you know, early uh, punk records out of L.A. Um, and I put about 45 minutes of his interview public, and then I put about close to 90 minutes of his interview uh, in the in the on the Patreon page for the listeners, so I'll put longer you know versions of the uh, of the interviews up there. So yeah, I try to keep it to, uh, to where people who are going out of their way and and part of this Patreon community, uh, they have these sort of rewards, this exclusive content, and and, and as well they should. Um, I heard the spot one. I love that one. Sometimes I, I you know I don't have time to listen to every single one, but when there's one that's undeniable, I need to listen to it. I'll, I I have to. Uh, move everything aside and listen to it. And the spot one was for the Patreon part of that interview. Does he open up more about Greg Ginn? Cause you almost mm-hmm. got him to like spill some beans. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking maybe you saved a lot of it for the Patreon uh, section. You know, it, it, he, he doesn't go too deep in with Greg Ginn. And I've noticed that cause I've, I've now interviewed probably, you know, three quarters of the people who've gone through Black Flag. Yeah. Um, uh, but, and almost everyone doesn't want to talk about Greg Ginn. And, uh, you know, who, who knows what that reason is. It doesn't seem to be a lot of, uh, um, a, a lot of love lost between him and his ex-bandmates. Mm-hmm. Um, and he may have a perfectly good reason for that. I'd love to get Greg on the show to be yeah. able to talk about it from his perspective as yeah. well. Um, I, but we're not a gossip show, right. necessarily. <laughs> um, I, I, I try to keep... The gossip out. In fact, I've I've had three out of the four Zappa kids on the show, um, and you know they're notoriously feuding, and it's yes. it's, it's very unhealthy and very yeah. nasty in some regard. Um, not between them, but to the, the people who support one or the other, they pick sides. But I, I, I've told all of them before the interview, it's like I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to cover any of this. What's happening? I don't want to talk about the controversy. I just want to talk about the music because. I like to think that, you know, this this podcast, the Vinyl Guide, people can listen to in five or ten years and still learn something and still have it be quite relevant. If we're talking about gossipy stuff, that may be in the rearview mirror so far that no one cares about. It. Right. And hopefully it is. So um, I, I try to steer uh, steer clear of the, the gossipy sort of stuff. Um, but back to your your question about Greg Ginn good doggy uh <laughs> the um greg uh, or, uh, or sorry spot um what spot talked about mainly in the, that extra time he talked a lot about recording and the studio chatter so i thought you know what that would be good for some patreon folks i if you're a record collector you may find value in that but i kept really the record heavy the vinyl heavy stuff for the public interview and the stuff that's in patreon it's him talking about recording techniques and that sort of thing Hmm. Very interesting. And also you have, uh, maybe, maybe I missed an earlier episode, but you've recently started to do live tapings of the vinyl guide, which I, I really think is uh, the next tier for a podcast to do. If you can actually, you know, attract a live audience, then you have kind of made it in the podcast world. So you did one with Amit Zappa and uh, Joe Travers for the Zappa hot rats 50th anniversary how is that like? Yep. Well, look, those are those are a lot of work. They really are. As I said, yeah, I'm kind of a one man show, right? And right. so, um, I, uh, I I was uh, I'll travel to L.A. probably once a year. Now, I've got a lot of relatives there and family there. My mom lives in Southern California, so mm-hmm. um, I'll go over there. And then while I'm you know making my trip, I'll have all sorts of different vinyl guide stuff to do while I'm essentially in you know vinyl mecca. And so, um, we've, uh, I've got a, a friend down there, Parker, who runs cream tangerine records and he's got this huge atrium that's right outside his shop. And so I'll say, look, I'm coming here on this particular date. What can we arrange? And so he tends to arrange all the, all the stuff on the ground and then I'll arrange the artists if I can. Uh, sometimes 
another person will. We recently had Bob Lefsetz. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And he was at uh, at Australian Music Week, and uh, I was uh, I was invited down to interview him in front of a, a whole kind of theater full of people, and that was fun. Um, so to me, that's the ideal model when someone just kind of handles everything. And then I just get invited to come in, swoop in and I could, I could focus on doing the questions, not, you know, how, how is the PA? When do we need to do sound check? I could just, if I just show up and start doing the interview, that's the ideal way to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll probably do a handful of these a year. Again, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think this is kind of a touring sort of act, um, but I think where there's music festivals, um, I'm starting to kind of get, uh, pulled into a few of those to where I can, you know, be part of the, uh, uh part of the sideshow. Yeah, it sounded great. I mean, that's, that's always been the marker for me. If, if, if a podcast can go live, cause I, I've never, I've only entertained the idea once. And even then I got cold feet and I said, there's just no way between, whether or not people will show and trying to, to handle like, you know, even two or three guests at once to make it interesting for an audience is a, is a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, you, I I think you would be able to do it because you've got that stage presence as well. And to be able to, to keep people, what do you say you call in the tent, keep them interested. You know, I I think you could totally do that. And, And in fact, you know, you know, they have these VIP packages of, you know, touring acts. That could be something that gets worked into that. Um, uh, I've had discussions with uh, with local promoters about, you know, when a band comes into town, they're doing a VIP thing. Rather than just having them shake hands and kind of mm-hmm. take pictures, you, we can also have a, a host kind of lead them through an interview and audience questions and essentially be a bit of an MC for that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be cool, but... I, th- one of the reasons why I started doing a podcast was to, it sounds crazy for, because of what I do for a living, but to get more social, like I, I was becoming like a hermit, um, not once, you know, I'm off the stage, the only people that I so, uh, socialize with are our crew, our camp, you know, and when I'm home, I stay home. I don't go out to shows because it's like going to the office on a Sunday. So I, I started to realize that, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm losing touch with people at people in the city, people home in Toronto and and friends, et cetera, et cetera, people in bands. So it was a way for me to become social because I was hermetic in a way. Doing a live podcast goes against, I think, what a lot of people doing podcasts at home in their bedrooms do it for, you know, just a, a, a chance to just you know, yeah, you're broadcasting out in the world, but you're still doing it by yourself in your bedroom a lot of the time. And doing a live podcast, doesn't that work against what you originally started a podcast for? I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree, but that's just how I see yeah, it. I, I, could, I, I could see where that would be the, the assumption. And I got to tell you, for, in your case, I, I, you know, a podcast is a great medium for you. It's a, you know, it, because you're, you're an entertainer. Right. And, and you're a guy who likes to get up. You're very outgoing. Um, uh, when you're on stage, you have, you know, the, the guitar in front of you uh, and you have the, 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 the banter with the audience, but it's very short and it's very controlled. Um, here on a podcast, you're able to be much more expressive. You're able to share your views. You're able to talk about, you know. Thin Lizzy and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and, and it adds this whole other very compelling dimension to you. And so I think it, it, it goes on perfectly with what you do, Danko. Um, for me, and, and this is kind of going back into some, some other areas of my life, I used to do stand-up comedy. Yeah, and, you have mentioned that on the podcast. That's very interesting. Yeah. I forgot to bring that <laughs> up. That's all right. Look, there's a, there's a whole bunch of kind of weird areas of my life that are that, uh, that, that are uh, little deep, deep crevasses. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I used to do stand up comedy for, for many years. And that was, uh, knowing how to work a crowd is, has been one of the most, I guess, um, uh, enriching skill sets that I've ever uh, been able to develop because right. while I'm talking to people, I can tell who is interested, who is not, 
I can see like, okay, I'm losing these people. I can just feel the kind of the, the energy of the room and, 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 and play to that again, bring them back into the tent. And so, um, so doing a live podcast, I find myself using those skills all the time. Like, you know, someone over there's checking their phone, someone's yeah. doing this. I can tell the artist is kind of like, okay, we're wrapping up this question. You know, I could, I could sense what's happening and, and, and use that to, to make sure that the energy and the, the interest in the topic doesn't drop. How long was that stand-up career? I wouldn't call it a career. Um, I, I went from, so I moving from the, moving from the uh, radio commercials, um, I started, you know, writing comedy. I, I, I did some, some, some early comedy sketches for local shows in the, in, in the Bay area. Just really kind of cutting my teeth on, on what it's like to be able to, again, get your point across in 30 seconds. And so we did a couple of television commercials. I, I, I'd write and start to produce. And I went from radio to, to television for uh, a short while, uh, uh, producing, you know, funny content for that. And then I always wanted to try my hand at getting up and doing stand-up comedy. And I've, I would probably say I did it pretty regularly. And when I say regularly, I mean three to four times a week wow. uh, for about three years. And that's something that if you're going to do stand-up comedy, you really have to commit to it. And um, committing to it means you go out three and four nights a week and you go from club to club to club. And, and it's not just one club. Uh, uh, you go, you know, maybe two or three on an evening. So by the time you get to the weekend, you've actually gone over these new jokes, this new, these new bits, you know, 10 times. Right. And then they're ready on the weekends when you actually get paid throughout the week. It's all open mics. It's nothing. Maybe on the weekend you'll get 50 bucks for doing a, a 45 minute set somewhere. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was hard, but that whole area, that whole area of my life is so, I've got an MBA too, but I would say doing stand up comedy for three or four years, <laughs> you know, gave me much more experience in how to be able to relate to people and communicate than, uh, than, than any schooling ever did. Wow, man. I, I, I mean, I would love to, um, sit down with you and just talk vinyl, but you're, you're on the other side of the world. Um, could never uh maybe the next time we're in australia we and and maybe we'll hang around a little longer uh i'll give you a, yeah when is that danko yeah i know I'll, I'll shoot you a text hey i'm i'm uh i'm in town <laughs> um, and also sorry about uh skipping out on your your birthday there you were going to celebrate it at our show um yeah but when we returned when we actually did the dates i gave you a shout out from the stage so you did that. Was, hey, I got to tell you, that was incredible. That was great. <laughs> I, uh, I I didn't get laid that night, but I that was really one of those things to where it's like, oh my god, that was that was really freaking brilliant. Just, for those of you who who are listening and don't know about this, um, Danko was going to come out, and I was going, and it was it was like a week before my actual birthday, and I thought, you know, what a it was a Saturday night. It was at one of my favorite clubs, and I said, you know what, this is going to be my birthday. It, 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 people are asking what I'm doing for my birthday. If you want to celebrate my birthday, go to this Danko show and we're going to have a great time. Now, turns out the tour got rerouted. Danko yeah. had to pull out, uh, you know, a couple of weeks beforehand, reschedule later. But uh, we still all went to the club that night and really had a, 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 a brilliant evening. So um, uh, and then when Danko came back around, we had another brilliant evening. So actually I had two birthdays. That's nice to hear. You know, when we when they rescheduled the dates. This was out, kind of out of our hands in a way, but it had to be done. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, my first thought was, no, 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 Nate's celebrating his birthday that day. <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta meet, I, gotta, right. I get to meet him. If we reschedule it, he might be too pissed off to come. So I'm just glad you showed up, man, after we rescheduled it. Oh, yeah. Dude, I got to tell you, the, the, the night that you weren't there, the, the original night I was booked for was June 1st or whatever. They had these – they, they moved it. This is the Crowbar and for those of you listening. This is the Crowbar in uh, Sydney. And they've got the big stage area, which is where the likes of Danko and you know the, the, the heavy hitters play. And then there's a smaller stage that's kind of inside closer to the bar where kind of more the lo local acts and kind of the regular – 
uh, uh, local bands would play, right? And so that night, what they did was they just didn't open the big one. Dankel wasn't going to be there. So they put everyone on the smaller stage. And it was crazy. It was insane. And I, it was, they had the bands that would have opened for you are playing in that smaller area. And it, it, it was madness, but it was a night to remember. Everyone had such a great time. So wish you were there, man. Oh, well, at least I, that happened. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's great. Yeah. That's great. No, yeah, we, it's, we, it's, 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 I didn't know I could, I, I could get in a mosh pit at 50, but I uh, guess what? I, <laughs> I was I'm very happy about that. Wow. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, and this is kicking, we're kicking off 2020 with this episode with we, you. Um, we so, are. We'll, you know, be celebrating 200 episodes, uh, vinylguide.com. We're now on Spotify. We've got our own app. Uh, you can get to us at Patreon, patreon.com slash vinyl guide. Uh, and, uh, again, it's been such a great journey and, and Danko, I really appreciate you being part of it. Not only a, uh, you know, a, a, a great guest on the show, uh, unbelievable live artist. That was just, a, your live show is one of the best i swear and i see a lot of bands and i had so much fun at your show and the folks that i brought there had such a great time so thank you for being part of it and also i consider you a friend a uh, uh an astronaut friend in this whole podcast sphere but also just a a mate that uh you know i i i'm happy to uh happy to call my friend oh uh the feelings are completely mutual nate um, thank you so much for your kind words on our show. Um, as you have figured out and anybody listening to this episode has figured out by now, I love what you do. Um, keep doing the vinyl guide. Um, I can't wait to figure out who your guest is for your 200th episode and congrats on that. However, I mm-hmm. kind of think that my first guest for 2020 beats your guest for episode 200. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. That's I'm you. Forward to that. That's you. Ah. <laughs> oh. Oh. You old whip. <laughs> well, happy 2020, mate. This is a great way to kick it off. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for doing this, man. Dude, well, thank you. Uh, much appreciated, man. I'm in a band and I love it. I'm in a band and I love it. All I wanna do is play my guitar and rock and roll. When I hear. Sp-